Hey everyone, welcome to the Cattleman You Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K-Rose Company and Cattleman You. Through our conversations here, we share the latest ideas and techniques to help you start, improve, and expand your farmer ranch. Join us as we visit with industry experts and cattle producers to get honest ins and outs of beef production. We'll dive into topics such as cattle handling, nutrition, cattle markets, genetics, and so much more. We encourage everyone who's involved in the industry to listen. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Cattleman U. Today I am joined with Lexi, and Lexi is not only a longtime friend since college, but she has also been an integral part of K-Rose and some of our marketing. So thank you for being here, Lexi. Thanks, Caroline. Excited to be here. Yeah. Why don't you just start and tell us a little bit about your background and kind of bring everyone up to speed with what you guys do? Mm, Yes. So I have known Caroline since college and we got to know each other through an FFA program, which is funny because you weren't ever actually in FFA in high school. I always find that hilarious, but it was a great program um, and got to meet so many people, really cool people through that collegiate ag ambassadors, I think it was. But yeah, I went to school at K-State, graduated with a degree in ag, didn't really know where life would take me. I spent a year as an ag teacher and then post that just kind of realized that communications and marketing was my calling and have been involved with that in various aspects ever since. One of those, probably the longest running one, being with you at K-Rose Company. I've always enjoyed writing and this is the piece of my career that just lets me do that the most. So that's always good. Um, But I am a mom to four kids and we are working on expanding our own farm. That's been a big thing that my husband and I have always prioritized and wanted to do and been trying to figure out. We're kind of first generation farmers, even though his family has always been involved in agriculture. We're not like going back to a family farm or joining a multi-generation operation. So we kind of consider ourselves beginning farmers. And yeah, I think think that sums it up. I had forgotten you had taught agriculture for one year. You have a ag ed degree from K-State? I don't. I have a horticulture and animal science degree. But after college, I had just had such a great experience with FFA and had gained so much from my time in the organization that it seemed like the natural next step. And there's always been a shortage of ag teachers, I think nationwide, but in Kansas, um, especially, we've seen that a lot. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to give this a try. And I enjoyed the year so much. It was it was amazing. I learned so much. And then after that first year, basically, what called me away from ag was having more of a family life and more flexibility there. I don't know how women, especially in agriculture education, manage to juggle both a young family and ag ed. It's it's like three full-time jobs. I don't know how they do it. It was a good reminder for me when you said that because I feel like you do a lot of teaching now. And I started in ag ed at K-State. And um, it's interesting to see how much education and how much teaching plays a role in our communication roles. Um, and it's like we still have that teaching bug, just not in the classroom. Very true. Very true. And not necessarily with high schoolers. That makes a big difference too. (laughs) 
100%. Yeah. So one thing that you really talk about is kind of doing farming different and thinking outside the box and being presented with an opportunity to grow your guys's operation without a family ranch or farm to take over. And you've had to get really creative. So talk to me a little bit about kind of what started this passion. What was kind of the turning point in you realizing, okay, the standard things are not going to work for us and we have to think a little differently. And then some ways that you guys have thought a little differently and worked on your farm a little uniquely. I think for quite a while, we didn't, at least I did not realize that to be involved in agriculture as a first generation person, you do have to be out of the box and you do have to do things different. I kind of just assumed growing up and seeing like other people who were in in my life that farmed and ranched was like, oh, well, you just do the things that they do. They raise cows, they take them to the sale barn, they make an income, they go put crops in the field and, you know, things take care of themselves when it comes to paycheck. And that's definitely not the case. And it kind of took us going through our own cycle of raising cows. Um, We did some commercial cow calf when we were first married to realize, no, that is not the case. That is not going to work. This is far too capital intensive of a career path for us to even consider doing that. So after that first cycle of, you know, buying our first set of cows on like a 7% interest loan or something, and then calving them out, we were like, okay, something needs to be done differently here if we ever want to have a prayer of being involved in this. And we we had always been open to doing things differently. My husband loves to like look at research and be like, oh, how did they make this work? Or just little tweaks you can make. He's minded that way. So that he's always had an open mind about that stuff. And then when we started to look at the numbers of it, it was like, yeah, this is something we're going to have to like problem solve a Rubik's cube to make this work. It's not just going to be go buy some cows and have calves and call it your livelihood all of a sudden. So we've, we've tried some different things. Um, a lot of things now, it's more so we run the numbers. We don't actually go try them yet. For us, we can't really afford to make those kinds of mistakes and then have a prayer of just you know jumping back in next year when you're this small. So instead of going and buying the cows and trying it, we're like, okay, well, what are our inputs going to be? What are we going to be able to sell them for? What if the market does a U-turn? You know, what, how are we going to be able to recover from that? And we've done that with cows and goats. We're getting ready to get back into goats actually and give another run to that. So it's a lot of just plug and play with numbers and figure out what might be able to work and how we can you know, gain a little bit of ground for next year. I think one thing you talk about well is that your operation is going to look different and it's not going to look like we see ranches, Yellowstone (laughs) farms look on the internet and how that means that what you guys are doing is unique and you're trying things and you're willing to say that didn't work. We might have to sell this or you might have to give up that lease And I think in agriculture, we don't like to admit that, right? We always like to see, okay, either we were forced out, right? We hear that term a lot, Mm -hmm. instead of that just didn't work for us. And it's a whole different perspective. And you've gotten some positive and some negative, probably, feedback in this conversation that you're having. What is the thing that has surprised you the most about kind of opening this door and this box to 
unconventional um, first generation farming and the conversations that you've been having? I think this is the thing that has surprised me the most is how much a person's mindset and how they approach that problem plays into whether they're going to find a solution or not. Um, and I don't know if we're going to find a solution. You know, I don't, we're still in the middle, the, like I like to call it the messy middle of trying to figure out how to make this work for our family. So we don't know if we're going to be successful, but the way that you approach the situation um, with a positive mindset of a more of a business mindset, I think of like, yes, this is what we want to do. This is what we love to do. This is our dream, but we can't just treat it like, we're going to have the gas pedal to the floor the whole time because that's just not realistic for our life. But people, a lot of people come to it with a very negative mindset of like, oh, I wish that was me or I wish I'd been given those opportunities or, you know, I can never get away from my in-town job. To me, it's surprising that so many people think that way without ever having tried to figure it out for themselves. And I think a lot of that comes from the generation that went through the 1980s farm crisis saying, you know, get out of here. You don't want to come back to the farm. It's miserable. It's so hard to make a living. Um, and that was just ingrained into a lot of us at a young age of like farm living is hard. Ranching is not an easy lifestyle. Don't do it. We just kind of accepted that as a universal truth. And so many people now think, well, I wish I could do that. I, I love the memories I have of my grandparents' farm, but it's never going to work for me. It's like, well, have you tried to figure out if it could? Have you looked at your unique situation and seen what assets you could bring to the table, what things could potentially work uniquely in your area to figure out if there's a shot? Like, yeah, it probably won't look like your grandparents' farm. There's not very many people that even if they did inherit it um, in some way, shape or fashion that can make it work that way anymore. It's got to evolve with the way that the economy has evolved and the industry has evolved as well. And I think the one thing that people get confused about is if you want to have one cow and it be in your pasture, that's fine. That's called a hobby. Yes. And people get so offended at that term. And I don't think it's offensive at all. So I don't know why people get offended at, at that. Agriculture is a wonderful hobby. If that makes you happy to be able to provide some of your own food or you and your neighbors and have a very small operation that doesn't support your income, that's okay. That's wonderful. Do that. But understand that you're going to approach that situation very differently than someone who's trying to make it their full-time job. Yeah. And we do have this negative connotation about hobby farm, but it's just like great skiing or snowmobiling or running people who run marathons. Like that's a hobby. You really enjoy it. You spend your extra time on it and some of your resources. It doesn't have to make an income. But the shift that I think is different that you talk about a lot is running the numbers. I do not know how many people actually run the numbers, right? We do a lot of write the check and pray. And figuring out and being able to look at the situation and say, like, it can look different. And for us to have an income in this operation, there might be nine different income streams. Like, we might have to be as creative as humanly possible. But if we want a shot at this, if we want the legacy of our kids to grow up here, we got to do things that are different, but we know will work, even if they aren't popular or cool or things people want to talk about. Yeah, figuring out how to make the things that you think are the most important to your family work 
in whatever way makes sense, I think is the hardest. It's the hardest part to force yourself to do it first. And then it's the most rewarding once you actually do it. Because for us, you know, I've got four kids. My oldest is six. And that is the main driver for us is we want them to experience agriculture and, you know, all of the values that you learn from working hard on the farm that just really, you don't get them pretty much anywhere else anymore. And all of the joy that comes with that too, you know, experiencing nature, experiencing the circle of life. And it sounds kind of corny, but like that's unforgettable experiences that both my husband and I have from growing up that we want our kids to have too. And so when we realized that that was the non-negotiable, that was the thing that mattered most, then the rest of the picture got a lot easier to figure out how to make that part happen and say, you know, we can negotiate on the other things that we thought we would want or that we thought were really important if it means that we get to give our kids that experience. Yeah. And you have four kids under the age of six. And uh, so you juggle a full-time job and you're adding this. So of course, balance is not a thing. We know that. Seems like every podcast, they say, how do you balance it all? You have seasons. I know you well enough to say that. But how have you decided to prioritize some time to build this farm while you're doing all these other things? I'm not sure I really know how we have, but it's definitely been like the ultimate priority for us. It's the why behind the other things we do. I would probably work a lot less hard in my full-time job if I didn't have the reason behind it of like, we're trying to build the farm. So it's like an underlying reason for all the other things that we do. It's like, I want our kids to be raised a certain way. And that's related to the farm. I want my business to run a certain way very profitably so that it can help us build the farm. So it just kind of is the ultimate connector for our lives, I think. And there's really not a good way to say that we juggle it other than a lot of times we run around doing things last minute in all areas of life with kids and you, you know, they just come along for the ride. It's like, okay, well, it may be nine o'clock at night and dark now, but it's time to do the chores. So put your coat on, let's go. I think that's part of the experience for them too, of they get to understand, you know, the priority is this thing that we're building and the animals that we care for. And that priority comes above whatever else you might want to be doing at 9 p.m. at night getting into bed, probably. One thing you do really well is time management. And I think that there's an illusion of time management, right? We talk about managing your time. It's the most valuable asset, all of these things. You do that probably the best of anyone that I know in how organized and dedicated you are to your time and breaking things up and knowing exactly what you're working on. The reason that I want you to talk a little bit about that is because I feel like in agriculture, we waste a ton of time. And I know I'm going to say that and someone's going to be offended. My dad, for example, my brother was gone for the weekend and my dad called me after and he said, I spent half the time looking for things why he was gone. Where is this? And where, you know, what pen are these kettles supposed to go? And all these things. We were just having an open conversation. And he's like, it made me really realize that we need to increase communication. We need to have a different structure of communication. Cause he's like, I didn't realize how much time is wasted looking for things. And it just was one example about on farms and ranches. I think we waste tons of time. And I think it's easy to say, I'm going to go drive through the cows when you've already driven through them um, or whatever, right? 
but you are so intentional with your time. So talk a little bit, both as kind of a business owner and then how you're fitting in this farm on top of motherhood and everything. You structure your days very intentionally and how you move things around and how you kind of came to that work. Yeah, I think I've always been kind of obsessed with efficiency. And I don't know if that's like my Enneagram type showing through or what, but um, it's always been really important to me to you know, be productive with the time I have. Maybe it's just something my parents drove drove into me or something. But um, I think I relearned that in a whole new way after my first son was born. He was a very, very fussy baby. First six months of his life, I don't think I set him down for more than probably five to 10 minutes at a time when he was at home. Um, and that forced me to completely relearn the value of time. You know, how much can you get done in five minutes? How much can you get done while you have one hand available and you hold the baby with the other hand? And so it just made me understand so much differently that, you know, I could sit here and say, I'm holding my baby. I can't do anything else and feel sorry for myself that I'm in this position with a fussy baby. Or I can choose to go do something that is productive and that I feel good about at the end of the day. And just realizing that we all have the same amount of time. I, I sometimes hate when people say that because I'm like, okay, a 20 year old college kid does not have the same amount of time that I do. That's not true, but it is true. A lot of us have a lot more responsibilities in our day than other people, but we get to choose what the priorities are in the amount of free time we have. Whether you have five minutes of free time or five hours. You get to choose what's important during that amount of time. And so when I started really evaluating, you know, just how much you can get done in small amounts of time if you're intentional, that's honestly what allowed me to build my business that I have now. I am a freelance marketer with Kara's company, and then I do that myself um, for other clients. And I actually built that business while I had two little kids at home and was working another full-time job. And I, I was only able to do that because I was finding all those little holes in the day of, you know, I had a half an hour on my drive to work to listen to a podcast and learn a new skill. I had an hour at lunch that I could pick up one marketing client and serve them on that hour lunch break while I sucked down a smoothie or something. And so it's, it's just to me, I guess, always been the list of things that I want to accomplish is always going to be longer than the things that I'm going to accomplish. So at the end of the day, I want to look at that and say that list and say, you know, I got done everything that I could get done. Not everything I wanted to, but everything I was capable of getting done, I got done today. I know the reason that you think I'm really intentional about it. And I take that as a, a very sincere compliment, by the way. It means a lot to me because sometimes I really struggle to see the progress there. But I know the reason you say that is because you see my Google Calendar and the time blocking things that I have put in there. But yeah, I have a lot of big goals and I realize that nobody can complete those for me. So it, it's up to me to use the time I've got to get them done. The one thing that you've really taught me in time management that I teach to other people now is, I think you said this when you first started working for me, which was five years ago. You said that you had a five minute task list. Mm. It's like tasks that you know take about five minutes. And so if you have five minutes... While you're sitting, I remember you said like, you know, while your son's bathing or any kind of thing like that, you're like, I can grab my phone and I have this list of things that I know only take like this short little time and I can start to check stuff off even if I don't have a lot of time. And when I just think about how we can implement some of that 
management into farms and ranches. It seems as if sometimes I'll hear people say, well, I can't start that project right now. It's too big. And I'm like, so can we not take one step forward? Like we don't have to eat an elephant. We got to make forward motion. And it's how we are raised, right? To be efficient, to be productive. But all business owners, I tell them, if you think you're time efficient now, when you first start your business, you know, write down everything you did that day, whether it moved it forward, whether it produced income, whether it needed to be done. I mean, it took me probably two years of my business before I actually realized how much time I was not utilizing <laughs> or I could start to utilize time. And I just think in agriculture, we we have to think and run it more like a business, which is something we talk about a lot. But time management is a huge portion. Time management of you, time management of team members is a huge thing that I think is has the ability to be a game changer on some of these operations. I agree. And I just as you were saying that, I remembered a quote from my ag advisor when I was in college. And I can't remember how we started talking about it. But we were talking about how you fill the amount of time that you have with the tasks that you have. So it's almost like the more amount of tasks that you try to fit in the day, the more time that you have to fit them in. If you think, you know, I need to get five things done today, there's a potential you can get five things done. But if you only think you need to get three things done today, all you're going to ever get done is three things. You're not going to suddenly invent two more things for yourself to do that day. Being able to think those steps ahead and challenge yourself a little bit to kind of push, not push the limits, but just say, you know, I think I I really could get a little bit more done if I thought a little more clearly about these or cut the flack and the things that don't really need to happen here, just to the things that are more essential. Yeah, I think um, the best example I have of that is I set a timer which maybe is a skill I learned from you. And it's always funny. It's like something that's been on my to-do list for four or five days. And I'm like, I have 30 minutes. I'm just going to see what I can get done. And I set the timer. Nine times out of 10, I get the whole project done in 30 minutes. And I thought it'd take me several hours and I'd been putting it off for days. It's just that little like mindset shift. It's a race with yourself. In business, we can do that in all types of things. But I just, you do it really well. And I think the only way you're able to do motherhood well, because you're there. I mean, for your kids, like, you know, you are very good about saying, okay, I'm going to be off my phone. Now's family time. I think the only way that you can sort of attempt to juggle it all is because when you say you're working on your QuickBooks, you're doing QuickBooks. When you say that you're done for the, like, you're done and you're very strict on that to the best of your ability. And I think we got to have that in agriculture a little bit more. There's a time in agriculture, and I know like it's something you care a lot about and are excited to be teaching people at the She's a Hand Ranch camp. There's a time to do it slower and to learn and take the time to teach people so they know how to do it right. And there's a time to say, you know, what are we doing that we're spending all this time in our day on? Where is all the time going? We need to figure out where it's, where it's escaping us at because, yeah, there's so much time in a day if you really want there to be to be productive a hundred percent it's time to start thinking about your goals for the new year and how you're going to get there finding a community and learning from others can help you reach your goals cowman new membership is accepting new members from january 16th through 19th with doors opening on january 15th for those on the wait list the membership is perfect for you or anyone you know who's progressive and proactive 
Not only that, but Cattlemen U members will get first chance to purchase their spot to our new She's a Hand Ranch Camp. Sign up for the waitlist at calumnulive.com backslash join and get 20% off when you become a member. One thing you've also been talking about on your TikTok is um, some succession planning and some longevity, which I really appreciate because you have young kids. In the nicest way, you don't have 10,000 acres and thousands of cows. Right. But you're still taking it very seriously, and it's a conversation you're having a lot. It's like, what do I do today to set this up for these kids to make sure that our legacy lasts? So talk a little bit about some of the things you're learning about succession planning, particularly in agriculture, and then some of the thought processes you guys have when you're considering setting stuff up for your kids. Yeah, we actually just went to a conference about this um, last week, and it was so eye-opening. Because I think a lot of us in agriculture, whether you have thousands of cows or like 20, it doesn't really matter. All of us think that our situation is unique when it comes to transition planning. And the conference, the gentleman um, shared a lot of data that was very eye-opening that, you know, it's really not unique. He says um, that there is about three ways that people typically try to do succession planning or transition planning for their ranch, if they do that at all, which 80 some percent of ranches don't, which is so surprising to me. It's just sad, really. But of those three ways, they only have about a 1% chance of working the way that we're doing it right now. Um, And he had the numbers run from like thousands, thousands of farms and ranches across the US that have been trying to do succession planning, where basically the most common model is that they're going to, they have farm kids and city kids. You know, they have a couple kids. One of them maybe stayed home and learned to take over more of the farm. And the other one got married and moved to the city or whatever. And they give the farm kid half the farm and the city kid half the farm. And how that has literally a less than 1% chance of working in today's economy. Farms are just not profitable enough for that ever to make sense. It doesn't matter if, you know, the kids get along perfectly, which most don't. Having the farm kid pay dividends to the city kid or having the farm kid buy out the city kid's half, it just, it doesn't work. And then what it does is it typically forces the half the farm to be lost, at least if there's more kids involved than more than half. Um, And that, that just makes me so sad to think about that that's the way that agriculture is heading if we don't make changes. And so that's why I take it so seriously. My own family, my grandma um, passed away this year and I've been kind of watching from a distance as her kids figure out how, you know, what comes next for the farm and ranch. Um, My husband, they are getting ready to start transition planning and his grandma's farm and his dad has 10 brothers and sisters. These situations are so messy because we're trying to communicate with these people we love so much but we probably disagree with on a lot of things. And it's the hardest thing in the world, honestly. And I I understand why people don't do it. I understand why people don't want to talk about it because there's a risk that you're going to say something that makes one of the people you love not want to talk to you anymore. But we have to figure out ways to do it differently. And I desperately want for my kids, if any of them have any interest at all in agriculture, for them to have a shot to be in production agriculture as their job. And when my husband and I graduated college, we didn't. 
Like we don't have a shot unless we create it for ourselves. The goal really is just to make that an easier segue for my kids if they have any interest in doing that. And maybe none of them will. I don't know. But if they do, I want them to have the option. It seems sad to me when ranches don't consider succession planning. And it might be a generational thing. Like maybe when you and I are 60 and we're having coffee and we'll be like, yeah, that will. We're just never going to, you know, we'll get around to it. But like the fact that our parents, our grandparents have literally put blood, sweat and tears into this. And some judge is going to put, you know, the hammer down and say, ta-da, It's really sad because I know it's a fear-based thing. We don't want to think about dying. If we don't think about it, there's like zero chance that it's going to operate the same way. And we are so worried about being equal. It's easy probably for me to say, but I tell my dad all the time, my brother needs the place. I don't need it. I can make a living. He has dedicated his life to those cattle. I mean, it's negative 40 in Montana. Guess what my brother Jacob's doing and guess what I'm doing. It's some like some innate part of being a parent, which I'm not, is like, oh, it has to be really equal. And I think that gets a lot of people in trouble. But it's also one of those things where like if we don't wake up, if we don't start planning this, we're not going to have a next generation. Like everyone's going to have to be a first generation because the ranch went to town and got sold. It is one of the saddest pieces in agriculture to me. We all know death is coming. We just never know when. Like, it's never too early to start. I mean, people are like, well, I don't have kids yet, so I don't need a will. I'm like, you have something. You have something of value. And we're terrible about succession planning in agriculture. Terrible. And like you said, I don't know if it's a generational thing. Um, I know a lot of folks that I hear talk about it are like, well, you can do whatever you want to when I'm gone. What do I care? I'll be gone. Doesn't matter to me. And if that's true. But at the same time, you doing just a teeny tiny bit of planning now could save your family from hating each other later as they try to figure out, you know, if they're a good family, they're going to try to do what you would have wanted, whether that's successful or not, whether that's actually what you wanted or not. They're going to try to do that. You could save them a lot of hurt and a lot of, you know, relationships just by saying these two things. This is what I want to happen. And paying attention to the numbers, too. Like I said, if we know there is a less than 1% chance that a certain way of transitioning your assets after you die is going to serve your children well, why would we keep doing it that way? That's just so terrible of an idea to keep doing something we know is going to fail. Figuring out different options that work better, even if they're not equal, it's something we have to do. Or we're only going to see more and more of these corporate farms, as a lot of people love to call them, come in. What I mean, if we don't do better ourselves, that's going to be the only option. Yeah. And then we see, you know, people come in and buy farms and ranches who have outside money, Mm -hmm. um, non-ag money. And then we complain. They have the succession nailed down. I mean, you know, there's a lot of them in Montana and Wyoming who have made it so they can never sell. You know, they have to have a 100% board vote And half the board is family and half is like elected people who get paid to sit on the board. They have to have a 100% agreement to sell. And what are the chances you can get 12, 15 people to 100% vote to sell? You know, they've they've set it up to make sure that it stays and the legacy stays. And 
it is something that I think we really do have to address in agriculture. And you talk a little bit about it on TikTok. What are some other things that you seem to talk about on TikTok that are gaining some popularity? One thing I've talked about some, and it kind of ties into this same topic, that the legacy that we're passing on is not just the money or the business side of things. The legacy we're passing on is the things that we, the way we treat people, the things that we do every day. To me, that stands out so much because I have four little kids who are like sponges and they soak literally every word up and they're going to spit it back to you when you least expect it. It's that way, you know, just for the people in your community, that legacy that you're passing on is more than your business. It's more than the things that you've built over time to financially, you know, be sustainable. And that's really important. And I think it's hard for those two things to go hand in hand sometimes. Uh, The conference I was at, uh, Shannon Farrell from Oklahoma State University was the speaker. And one of the quotes he shared was that when money walks in the door, love goes out the window. It's true in so many things. We're just kind of naturally wired as humans to think about our own sense of security. We forget a lot of things or we how we really want to be remembered in a lot of situations like that, I think. And it's so important that they go hand in hand. One thing I've talked about with a lot of friends that have stepped away from agriculture is that one of the biggest reasons they did that is because they felt like their parents didn't have time for them when they were growing up. It was the cows come first. Doesn't matter what's going on with you. Doesn't matter if it's really important. The cows need fed, so you're going to have to wait. While in a lot of cases that may be true, the cows need fed every dang day, we've got a way to make people not feel that way. Like that's what a horrible thing for your kid to feel, that they're they're going to always come at the end of the list. So I've really enjoyed the comments people share on that about how they're trying to change that stigma on their operation of and, and it's not all operations, but it's a lot of them. And, you know, if, if you told your parent or your grandparents that that's the way you made them, that they made you feel, I think they'd feel awful. Um, I think they'd want to change that pretty quick. So I'm glad to see there's a lot of change in the industry around that. That's one thing that we try to be really intentional about with my niece and nephew is oftentimes I will invite them to do something and my dad will say they don't want to do that. And I'm like, they do, though. They might not want to do the activity, but they want to be with me. So if that, you know, if we have to pick up string or pick up rocks or clean out the shoe and I'm like, hey, guys, do you want to go with nine times out of 10? They're like, yes. And I think that we think involving our kids has to look perfect. It's like, oh, you know, they have to have a role. They have to be able to do this. Some They just want to ride in the pickup. Like they just want to feed the cows with you. And it's harder, right? I mean, I see you on there getting those kids dressed for the winter and they're all walking and they're all going in different directions. And, you know, I saw that video of your husband that I love with them all on the four wheeler. And, but it's like, it takes just an ounce more effort, but they remember the time. So it's, you know, when we're trying to change that narrative in agriculture, we do this so much, right? The pendulum goes to here and then it swings all the way back And we go to the exact opposite. And the happy medium is we got to get the kids more involved. But sometimes that just means riding along and just talking out loud. Hey, we're looking for cows. Look like they might be, you know, starting to calf. Here's the things that we're looking for. Do you notice anything? And letting them sit in the front on the console. We want it to look so perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And we have to try things. You might have one child that loves that. You might have one child that would rather stay inside. And figuring out what works for your family 
getting kids involved, I think, is less romantic than it may appear. And we need to bring them along and show them the realities, but also just spend time with them. Exactly. And understand that, yeah, the situation's not always going to be perfect for it. And there's going to be situations that that they can't come to as well. That's been something that I've had a lot of trouble adjusting to. You know, I always thought as a young married wife, and my husband's going to feel bad for me saying this, but it's not his fault, um, that I don't get to go sometimes. Sometimes my job, my role, the place I'm needed most is to watch the kids, to, you know, take care of the house, to take care of the stuff at home while he goes. And that doesn't make my role less. It just looks different than I thought it would. And adapting to that and realizing, you know, where my strengths lie during this season is different than it'll look in the next season. And that's okay. And finding purpose in that has been made it a lot more peaceful and less um, like, well, why don't I get to go? What, you know, when can I come too? So recognizing that those seasons change and look different and I still contribute in some way, even if it's not exactly like I thought it would be. Well, and that's one thing we talk a ton about, right, in Kettleman U is that women, there is a role and every operation looks different, right? And, And one thing when we talk about we don't want women confined to the kitchen if that's not where they want to be. One of the pushbacks we get is people will say, well, I feel the most joy in being home with the kids and being in the kitchen. What we're trying to say is if that's where you fit in your family, that's perfect. Like that's the season. There's no more important role than raising the kids. But that doesn't mean you can't sit at the business table. Just because your role for this season is inside still means your creativity and femininity and ideas are needed at the business table. Women bring so much to the table different than men, right? And that's the thing is like God made marriage for a reason. And the compliment of what men and women can do together. But I think a lot of operations are lacking that creativity and that sensitivity because we kind of have put women in this role that a good chunk of them love. But we've forgotten that just because that's the role doesn't mean the ideas, um, the problem solving is gone from their perspective now as well. Yeah. And it's so, so many of those roles, I think, take so much energy from women because, I mean, it's a high, high need role. Like it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of patience to do those things, to, to deal with the kids, to have supper ready, to have the house clean. Like those aren't small tasks on a farmer ranch. They are never ending tasks. And it takes so much of our energy that I think a lot of our us sometimes feel like like I love this because I'm good at it and I'm putting all of my effort and contribution into these. And that's okay. But there's going to be a season coming up where your kids don't need you as much as they do right now. And you know what? You still have contribution. You can contribute to the business. You can contribute to the home in those same ways. But knowing that it's going to shift over time and that you're needed in both places at depending on your season, depending on your strengths is, is important. And to not pigeonhole women into saying, well, you can only do that is so important because it takes, I mean, I mean, I think both of us are probably pretty outgoing women. We're not going to let anybody tell us to sit down and shut up, but even so being a woman in agriculture, we have to be supported 
to feel powerful enough to stand up and voice our opinions. Um, it's very easy to sit at a table full of men and think, well, they seem to know what they're talking about. Maybe I'm missing something. I'm just going to keep my voice down when really your idea could be the best one there. You're just scared to say it. So it takes a supportive environment of of men or of whoever's at, in your business to to make you feel welcome and that you can contribute in that way. So I think it, it goes both ways. It's not just about making sure women know they have that role. It's also about making men recognize that it's their role too. If they don't encourage women to speak those ideas and voice those opinions, then they're going to be missing out and they may not even know it. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you and I both can agree there's no better role in life than raising the next generation of kids. And I mean, you only get 18 summers with them, right? That's the same. You only get this limited, finite amount of time until they grow their own wings and they're gone. What I hope that women hear from this conversation is you can be the one who's home taking care of the kids and bringing the creative ideas. You know, while you're washing dishes, you are probably problem solving, whether it's in your home, whether you're thinking about the ranch, whatever's happening. And just knowing that that your thoughts are so important and we need that creativity. We need that um, sensitivity and that emotional side in agriculture. I think that if we want the next generation of farmers and ranchers to exist, we have to inject some of that back into production agriculture. Absolutely. I think a lot of times I get caught on in some TikTok algorithm of women who also feel like they're trapped in that role and that like they can't contribute, maybe not even realizing how much they are contributing already. Um, like you said, there's no more important role than raising the next generation. And when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't sound that exciting it sounds very boring um, or very tedious of getting this kid down for nap and then making sure those kids have a quiet activity so they don't wake up the one that's napping and nutritious meals and when nobody wants to eat them anyway. Um, figuring all that out, I want women to take so much pride in that. If that's where your strengths lie, if, if that's the season of life you're in, that is a huge contribution. You are setting the culture of your household and that overflows into the ranch as well for so many of us you know if it's a family operation the things that you're contributing there and the reason that you're so good at it is because of those strengths and a lot of times those strengths that you're applying to the household like the reason you're able to get so much done at home is those same strengths overflow into the business or they could be overflowing into the business if you let them so take pride in how much you contribute on the home front and then realize that that contribution might be needed elsewhere too. Yeah. One of the best things that I ever taught Jason, who's my nephew, for those of you who don't know, is to stop, drop and breathe. He gets a ton of emotions. He's a really high, you know, highly intelligent child and he gets a lot of emotions and he kind of gets flustered and overwhelmed. And so I taught him this thing where he sits down and he just takes like three deep breaths. And then I say like, what are you f actually feeling? What emotion are you feeling? And I remember my dad, the first time he did it, he did it at his house and we must've been like opening presents or it was like a birthday, you know, chaotic. My dad said, what a great skill to teach him. And I said, you think so? And he said, yeah, because he's going to need that on the ranch. Something is going to frustrate him so much that he's going to need the emotional control of turning around, 
walking away, taking a couple deep breaths and coming back and assessing the situation and being honest with exactly the emotions he's feeling. And it just reminded me when you were talking about raising kids, how when children are in the house, what we do now is going to affect how they adult, obviously, what, you know, the things that we see in our operations that we don't love, right? The the fact that maybe um, people don't come in and sit down for meals. They're always eating, standing up. Like, are we behave, you know, are we mimicking that to the children? Are we talking about the importance of that? Are we talking about what are her solutions to this problem? What are your solutions? Let's look at both options. And I think we can cultivate the next generation to really be the change that we want in our operation, even if we feel like we can't do it with our family that we're working out. Like we can instill that and teach that into kids. And so that's, you know, another way to think about how important the purposes of raising kids and being on the home front is we get to mimic and we get to mold what happens in the next generation. And we get to teach them the things that we wish someone taught us or our spouse or our parents or our siblings. And we get to do that for our children. Yeah, absolutely. And then they get to hopefully get to a whole new level with their kids that we haven't even thought of yet, because I think the the little pieces of progress we make with our kids to teach them those things and get them just a little bit better experience than maybe we had, then they're going to be able to create something even better that we can't really fathom right now there. We don't even know it's a problem because we're focused on these other problems we're trying to solve. They're going to solve whole new ones. Absolutely. Well, this has been a great conversation, Lexi. You are a huge part of the K-Rose team and I just love watching you juggle family and all of that well. And I'm sure when my time comes uh, that I'll probably have you on speed dial because you look like you do it effortlessly. And we have loved having all of your children in Zoom calls and everything um, for the last five years and seeing how you know you can juggle and attempt to do it all and keep things moving forward. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being a part of the K-Rose team. I think what you said today was so valuable. Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Where can people find you on social media? Yes, I am on Instagram at right at the moment. Right is my last name, W-R-I-G-H-T. And then everywhere else, I am at Farming on Purpose. And that is the name of my podcast, kind of the content I've been creating around this, a lot of the same topics we've just talked about, supporting people as they take on these big challenges in our industry and figuring out what's working and what isn't. Well, thank you. We'll put those in the show notes. And I appreciate your time today, Lexi. Folks, by now you're probably well aware of how LivestockMarket.com can help you market cows, pears, bread heifers, and bulls. If you haven't used our online auction platform yet to sell cows, you really should give it a try. It's fast, easy, and affordable. You take the photos and videos yourself, send them in, and choose your auction date. And that's it. The cattle are sold before they ever leave the ranch. But did you know we can also help you market your calf crop too? At just a dollar a head, it's the most cost-effective way to sell your calves. And with on-staff order buyers soliciting bids for your cattle, they're sure to bring top dollar. Designate them for immediate delivery or set a forward contracted delivery date, whatever suits your needs. If you've never sold calves on an online auction before and you have questions, we have cattle marketing reps that will help you negotiate all the scary stuff, estimating base weights, slides, weight stops, all that. We'd love to help you out. Give us a call today at 844 844- 
775-4762 or look us up online at livestockmarket.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at cattlemanulive.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to review when you get there. We are excited to learn alongside you and remember the grass is greener where you water it.